2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
1: AT and T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten
3: more minutes to dream. Connect the shower.
1: And welcome to Saver
0: Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a classic episode for
1: you about ketchup. Yes. Oh yes. <laughs> uh you know, I love some ketchup. I uh-huh. know it's controversial. Um, was there any particular reason this was on your mind? Uh
0: nope. Nope. Okay. Nope, nope, nope. Uh, or I mean, I guess I was I was looking through uh the classic episodes and uh as as i say in our f- full new episode this week i didn't want to do bananas as mm. a classic right now because it was like too close in some subject matter
1: <laughs> yeah
0: to the full episode mm-hmm. um and then yeah i guess i was like oh yeah condiments i guess i guess they were like Uh, Grill-outs this weekend, this past weekend, the July 4th weekend, or something. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ketchup is summery to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, as I talk about in this episode, I love ketchup. Uh, Mm -hmm. I haven't, as with many things during the pandemic, I haven't really had it that much. Oh, really? You don't have a bottle at home? (laughs) I do, but it's like a really old bottle and oh, probably I okay. should get rid of it. Yeah, probably. Um, but I do think about it sometimes. <laughs> huh. Sometimes I'll open their fridge and I'll see it and I'll be like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. remember. I
0: remember. Uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, this, this episode is from February of 2018. So if that's also when your ketchup bottle is from, then it's probably about time. <laughs> about time. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh, my goodness. Were we doing some kind of weird Valentine's Day send-up? Why were we doing ketchup? <laughs> no idea. I think
0: I probably what happened is I was like, I don't know, Annie. Like, what do you feel like talking about? And you were like, ketchup!
1: Yeah. That's probably true. That's. Pro- I bet in my mind, because immediately I thought of a Valentine's Day send-up. So I think <laughs> even if I didn't say that, <laughs> that's probably what was going on. <laughs> that's
0: Like, ooh, red and pink. Ketchup. Completely amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I will say that according to an extremely brief Google um, search, uh, ketchup is one of the things that has been thrown off by this, our COVID pandemic. Um, apparently uh, ketchup sales went up over the first year of the pandemic, 300%, um, which Whoa. caused the significant shortage of ketchup, um, specifically uh, of ketchup available in single-serving packets um, that the mm. restaurant industry uses, um, and so there was a whole ketchup kerfuffle about not being able to get like like the preferred brands and having yeah. to like switch to alternate brands and
1: mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. I did see some of that. I saw. I saw some Heinz versus Hunts. Yeah. Uh, some coming together of heads on that one. Uh, and speaking of, our super fan, super listener cat, Sparkling Blue, yeah, sent us uh, a post about how in Canada, uh, in a part of Canada, which I cannot remember, there is a ketchup popsicle available now. Uh, yep. again... I probably would like. I love ketchup. And if it's just ketchup in a popsicle form, then...
0: (laughs) I'm just shaking my head slowly. Uh, I I don't know what else to
1: say about that. Uh, That's fair. And speaking of, (laughs) uh, just to briefly mention, because I don't want to go into this, but uh, ketchup has been involved in our January 6th hearings that we are having here in the United States. Oh... Yeah. Well, so ketchup, you know, it's getting around. (laughs) What a world. What a world. Uh,
0: Well, I suppose then, uh, without further ado, let us get into this glorious story of ketchup.
1: Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese,
0: And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about ketchup. Oh yes. Way more about ketchup than I thought was there. It's really fascinating.
1: It really is. It touched on so many things I never would have guessed. It's part of the reason why we have the FDA. Yeah, it really is. It's such a fascinating story. And it's also one of my weirdest favorite foods that I have. (laughs)
0: one of your favorite foods in
1: general or I've um I've kind of grown out of it <laughs> but when I was a kid I would eat ketchup sandwiches and I I would I think that's a common kid thing to do I I've never heard of it but I'm I wouldn't be surprised because kids do like those weird things like pickle juice I feel like kids really like pickle juice um, anyway, I would also, I preferred ketchup to french fries, but I knew it wasn't socially acceptable to, to just, just get ketchup. Eat ketchup. So I would order fries and then not really eat them and just kind of like try to be <laughs> subtle about the fact that I was mostly just eating just ketchup.
0: Up up until what age? Because you say that you ordered the fries. So you <laughs> were old enough to be like verbal and perhaps like have your own money.
1: yeah. I was definitely, I remember very vividly being called out on this in college.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I I also like ketchup. I can't profess to have that level.
1: Well, it's weird, and it's it brings me to a topic I really want to talk about one day, is why do we like the foods we like? Because that's strange. I know that's strange. Why is my body like, yes. Yes, ketchup. <laughs> Get me more of this. It's very bizarre. But anyway, we should start talking about what it is. Right, ketchup. What is it? It's a condiment that uses tomatoes as a base, usually with vinegar, sweetener, and spices like onions or garlic.
0: Other common spices include pepper, cayenne pepper, paprika, also a pepper, mustard, cloves, allspice, and cinnamon. And you can
1: find it pretty much on every hamburger, every hot dog, or not, I I found some very heated opinions about that one. Oh, I have a very heated opinion about that one. Do you? Yeah. Remind me to ask you about it <laughs> later. <laughs> um, every diner table in the U.S. at least, um, or as a dipping sauce for french fries, or pretty much any kind of potatoes. Any other potato product, right. Yeah. And as far as taste goes, I'm going to imagine you've had it. But if you haven't, uh-huh. it's kind of a sweet, savory, sort of twangy, barbecue sauce-esque taste. Sure. Yeah. Oh, and um, we like to talk about spelling on this podcast. Yes, yeah, it's,
0: it's a great audio thing. To, I know,
1: isn't it? <laughs> it's so fun to explain. But um, <laughs> so you've probably seen ketchup, K-E-T-C-H-U-P. That's the more common spelling, but also catsup, like C-A-T-S-U-P.
0: Still pronounced ketchup.
1: Yeah. But I in my head, though, it's catsup. Me too. Yep. (laughs) And basically the reason this whole thing exists, um, it was mostly catsup until Heinz of ketchup fame came along and wanted to stand out from the crowd and they marketed their product as ketchup.
0: Yeah. More on that a little bit later. Oh, yes. Uh, But first, how do we get ketchup? Oh, man. Does it spring forth whole from? I'm not sure what it would spring forth from.
1: I don't know. like. Like, what's, what's, what's the Zeus of, of Of ketchup? Of condiments. Ooh, the first condiment? I don't know. A condiment family tree would be very interesting, actually.
0: <laughs> okay, regardless. Um, first, you've got to grow some tomatoes. Those tomatoes are then grated, and the ones that pass ketchup mustard are washed, chopped, and scaled. That is pre cooked for uh, preservation and sterilization purposes. Then you pump them into a cyclone. A cyclone. A cy- it's a, it's an industry term for a machine that separates and filters the pulp and the juice out from all the stems and skins and seeds.
1: Oh. Still it's, cool. Still pretty cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you then cook the pulp for about 30 to 45 minutes, adding in various flavorings as you go. The whole thing is then filtered through a finishing machine to get rid of any chunks um, and or maybe milled for texture consistency. Excess air is removed and it's packaged hot to prevent bacteria growth, then cooled to prevent flavor loss from um, from overcooking. Mm-hmm. And there is a crazy amount of science that goes into when you add different flavorings and in what formats. Uh, onions and garlic can be steeped in in bags like like tea. Spices can be added ground or as essential oils. Adding your sugar too soon can create a burnt taste, and vinegar and any oils will evaporate if you let them cook too long.
1: <sighs> There's a lot going on there. There's a
0: lot going on there. More, more than I had personally thought about previous to reading
1: long industry papers. I really thought it was just, like, blended tomatoes with sugar in there. Right? No. What? No. Very it complicated. Kind of makes me appreciate it more.
0: Uh, Speaking of sugars, there has been something of an industry kerfuffle over the type of sweeteners used in ketchup, uh, partially because your typical tomato ketchup is almost a quarter sugar by weight. As health professionals and the public at large have become more concerned about added sugars, sneaky sugar foods like ketchup have become a target. And so different brands use different types from beet sugar to high fructose corn syrup. Oh man,
1: we need to do an episode about high fructose corn syrup sometime. We do. I feel like we've tackled a lot of sweetening things because we're just so into it. Yeah. So into things tasting sweet that, yes, high fructose corn syrup, we're it, coming for you. It's coming. Yeah. And speaking of health, um, it's complicated. Ketchup is about 15 calories per tablespoon, and each tablespoon has about 4 grams of sugar, mostly from added sugars, although the label doesn't differentiate between added and natural sugars. Because tomatoes do have they do. sugar in them, you know. But we, I think we can... We, we can guess it's mostly. Added. Yeah. yeah. Um, and eight tablespoons of ketchup will put you at the recommended daily sodium limit. I, I feel like you could get to eight pretty quickly. <laughs> you, you could certainly get to eight pretty I could. <laughs> I'm like, that's... <laughs> um, it does have some vitamin A, vitamin C, and lycopene. A 2004 study from the Harvard School of Public Health suggested that women who had elevated blood levels of lycopene lowered their risk of heart disease by 50%. Hmm. Um, I think it's also been, there's studies about um, it being good for preventing cancer. Um, So people use that as an excuse to eat more ketchup. And ketchup companies capitalized on it as well. But as we often say on this show, bodies are complicated, more research is needed, and there are better ways to get your lycopene than ketchup, probably like tomatoes. Yeah. Um, Okay, we don't say that last bit too often, but (laughs) it's still true. Still true. Yes. If we look at... Ketchup by the numbers. 97% of U.S. households reported having a bottle of ketchup in their refrigerator in 2014. Who? Yeah. Americans buy about 10 billion ounces a year, which comes out to around three bottles per person. Which is a lot of ketchup. Yeah. I kind of wonder... I don't know why, but meatloaf are are things, recipes that have ketchup. Because for me, it's a condiment. I'm not using it in recipes, recipes, you know. But I bet if you used it for something like that, I don't know. Thoughts for another podcast?
0: (laughs) We do make most of our ketchup here, but also import a lot from Canada. This is way more ketchup than the rest of the world consumes, by the way. As of 2015, we were responsible for about 37% of the global ketchup market. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Uh, of course, there there are other uh, tomato-based condiments in other countries, but yeah. yeah,
1: ketchup is very local. According to the USDA, an unopened bottle of ketchup will last a year in your pantry and an opened one a month. And if you refrigerate them, an opened bottle is good for six months. I feel like I've had the bottle of ketchup in my refrigerator for far longer than that.
0: Oh, yeah. I but. can't... <laughs> I I, I shudder to think.
1: (laughs) Moving on. If we just look at Heinz branded ketchup per year, they sell 650 million bottles. They are, I believe, the leader
0: in the industry. Well, I mean, they're certainly the leader in the industry as a single brand. But I think about like 50 percent of the ketchup that we buy is Heinz.
1: Yeah, I would believe it. Salsa outsold ketchup for the first time a couple of years ago. I know. Ketchup is currently the third best-selling condiment in the U.S. behind salsa and the number one, mayonnaise, which is one of my four foods that I don't like. Really? Yeah. I totally forgot about it because I just never have mayonnaise um, until I was (laughs) reading this. I was like, oh, oh yeah. I don't (laughs) like mayonnaise.
0: (laughs) See, I like dipping my fries in mayonnaise.
1: I I can understand it. And I watch people and the joy in their eyes and I wish I could I wish I could enjoy it, but sometimes I like it mixed in other things, you know. Okay. All right. So it's not a total all right. Yeah.
0: We'll have to okay, whole other uh, again, whole other episode. Okay. (laughs) Um uh yeah. The greatest share of the ketchup market is not the home market, which we have just been talking about, but the fast food industry. Different analysts are reporting different futures for the market with Maybe decreases in the United States as young consumers are shying away from traditional fast food, but uh, increases globally as the global middle class kind of expands. Right. And French fries are eaten by more other people. This is true. You're welcome, world. Yeah. Question mark.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) Uh, In the United States, ketchup, no matter how you spell it, has been defined specifically as tomato ketchup since at least... The 1980s, like legally. Mm -hmm. But
1: there's been all kinds of flavors of ketchup. Banana ketchup using bananas in the place of tomatoes is popular in the Philippines. In our fridge at work, there is sriracha ketchup. I find that interesting. Uh, There's pear, sweet mustard, also funny. Mango, cranberry, carrot, apple, plum. Goes on and on. Cucumber and grape were the two...
0: That I ran across. I'm not sure what that looks like. But yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, what makes some ketchup fancy?
1: If it's homemade and you're at a hipster rep stunt. <laughs> <laughs> No,
0: No, well, I mean that too. But uh, no, it's a grading term. The USDA defines three grades of ketchup, C through A, or standard, extra standard, which is a great phrase, mm-hmm. and fancy. Um, better color consistency and uniformity make better grades of ketchup. So...
1: Fancy ketchup is the best. Noted. Mm -hmm. The world's largest ketchup bottle, because you know there is one, (laughs) is located in Collinsville, Illinois, which at one time was home of the largest ketchup bottling plant. It's a combination water tower ketchup bottle (laughs) that measures in total 170 feet or 52 meters. And it has quite the fan club. There's literally a fan club. (laughs) Um, It's got a website in an annual festival, it looks really cool, and I love ketchup. So, ooh, field trip! Ah, always oh every episode. Yeah, I don't know how we're gonna fit in all these <laughs> field trips.
0: It was built way back in 1949. It was almost torn down in the 1990s after the town's ketchup operations were moved elsewhere and the property that it sits on was sold. But a restoration and preservation effort saved it.
1: Still there. <sighs>
0: the same town also built the world's the world's largest ketchup packet. And this one actually held ketchup, unlike this water tower, which never right <laughs> was never filled with ketchup. That, mm-hmm. to, to my personal knowledge, um, about 127 gallons went into the world's largest ketchup packet. That's about 481 liters. It measured four by eight feet, or 1.2 by 2.4 meters. And to fill it, Heinz donated 4,000 normal ketchup bottles to the town. Wow! The town <laughs> uh, sold the chance to, to, to pour. Those bottles end for a buck apiece to raise money for a local school. Okay. And the packet, hypothetically, in, unless someone something has changed, uh, lives at the Heinz Corporate Headquarters in Pittsburgh and is listed in the Guinness Book of Records as the world's largest condiment sachet. Sachet. Sachet.
1: That is not a term I would have used, but I do <laughs> enjoy it.
0: And one more record for you. The fastest anyone has drank a bottle of ketchup, on record anyway, is in 25.37 seconds. The record holder used a straw.
1: Oh, man. See, I like ketchup, but my stomach is not (laughs) on board with that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I made the same face that Annie is making right now when I read about that one. There's a photograph attached. It's great.
1: As all of this might indicate, ketchup today is seen, rightfully so, I would say, as very much an American condiment. Mm -hmm. But that was not always the case, and the first ketchups were not invented in the U.S. Nope. The story of ketchup is frequently described as a prime example of globalization and shifting global political power. Ketchup. (laughs) Ketchup. (laughs) Yep. More on that after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth.
2: Funded in part with the City of
3: San Diego Tourism
2: Marketing District Assessment
4: Funds. Me! Focus Features presents Back to Black.
3: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
4: Experience the music and her story.
3: Know this. I ain't no spy girl.
4: Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen.
3: I want to be remembered
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Let's start our history segment with one of our favorite things.
0: Etymology.
1: Yes. Ketchup. (laughs) Uh, We're so excited about it. I hope that you are just as pumped as we are. Ketchup probably comes from the Chinese word kutxia, which, what did kutxia mean, you ask? It was the name for a fermented fish sauce. (laughs) <laughs> That's the car going off the road, by the way. <laughs> I'm really good at sound effects. So. Yeah, wait,
0: wait, wait. So fish fish sauce.
1: Yeah. Fermented fish sauce. Oh, fermented fish. Bacteria poo. I know. Another thing we love. <laughs> yes, ketchup in its original form did not have tomatoes. If you've ever looked at a ketchup bottle, and I'm guessing you have, maybe you recall that the label reads tomato ketchup. Which, until someone pointed this out when I was researching it, I had never, it never like clicked. Yeah. That it does, in fact, say, say toma- tomato ketchup. Mm hmm. As in, ketchup isn't or wasn't always tomato based. The first written mention of a fermented fish paste or sauce in China dates back to 300 BCE. It might be made with fish entrails, meat byproducts, or soybeans. And the things I read said it was good at complementing savory flavors. I
0: feel like fish sauce. There's there's a whole garum thing in Roman times. Need to anyway. Yeah, yeah
1: please continue. Uh, here's one of the first recipes from 544 BCE. Take the intestine, stomach, and bladder of the yellowfish, shark, and mullet, and wash them well. Mix them with a moderate amount of salt and place them in a jar, seal tightly, and incubate in the sun. It will be ready in 20 days in summer, 50 days in spring or fall, and 100 days in winter.
0: Who mm-hmm. Incubate in the sun.
1: I do. I've never had a recipe that said incubate in the sun.
0: Preferably far away from <laughs> anywhere where you hang out, I would imagine.
1: But then someone might st- steal your... Oh. I oh. mean, you can't risk that. You can't. That's true. So this sauce stored and kept easily, meaning it was popular on long journeys and trade routes from China. It traveled to Malaysia and Indonesia via traders, picking up the names ketchup and ketchup, respectively. After sailors from England encountered it in the 17th century, they tried to recreate the condiment in their own country. The word ketchup, like catch, C-A-T-C-H plus up, UP, was first recorded in the New Dictionary of the Terms Ancient and Modern of the Canting Crew. <laughs> what a title. With the description High East India Sauce Ooh. in 1699. A British merchant gave this advice on buying ketchup. Soy comes in tubs from Japan and the best ketchup from northern Vietnam. Yet good of both sorts are made and sold very cheap in China. I know not a more profitable Commodity. Wow. In 1727, or in some places I read it appeared in the 1758 reprint, the complete housewife included a recipe for a sauce called English ketchup made out of 12 to 14 anchovies, 10 to 12 shallots, white wine vinegar, white wine, mace, ginger, cloves, whole peppers, a whole nutmeg, lemon peel, and horseradish. Mixed together and then shake in a bottle once or twice a day for a week, and Ta-da! This recipe was frequently reprinted up until the 19th century, so people must have liked it. And key here, too, something I I forget a lot, um, people didn't have refrigeration at this time.
0: Right. So you either had, like, cold-ish cellar.
1: Right. Or or making this, like, shrug.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. you eat fresh food. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So just like the sailors, they appreciated the long shelf life right. of ketchup. And early attempts to recreate ketchup in England included beer, because, of course. Of course they did. Of course they did. (laughs) A little over a decade later in the 1740s, spiced sauce, as ketchup was known in England, was a regular condiment at the dinner table. Still not how we'd think of it, though. The consistency was thinner, the color was a lot darker, and on top of the stuff we just mentioned in that recipe, the English might add cinnamon, mustard seeds, or cayenne pepper. Or walnuts. Oysters, mussels, celery, plums, peaches, or mushrooms. Jane Austen was a fan of mushroom ketchup. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Another recipe I found called for not one, not two, but 100 oysters, three <laughs> pints of white wine, <laughs> lemon peels, and mace and cloves. That's a lot of oysters. That is many. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until 1812 that the first recipe for ketchup using tomatoes was published courtesy of James Meese. Meese was a horticulturist and a scientist, and the recipe referred to tomatoes as love apples. Oh. Oh, That's one of my favorite episodes. That was such a good one. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, who knows how long Meese worked on perfecting his tomato ketchup because he mentioned it in 1804, eight years earlier. (laughs) And he mentioned it, uh, that he believed Love Apples would make a a fine catsup. I'm just going to use catsup to differentiate so I don't have to spell it every time. (laughs) One thing I read posited that all of the things added in ketchup at this time and currently, tomatoes, mushrooms, oysters, are big on that fifth taste, umami. Or savory. Yeah, Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, speaking of our tomato episode— Tomatoes were growing in popularity around this time. There was this kind of stunt that happened in 1820 in which one Colonel Robert Gibbon Johnson stood on the steps of a local New New Jersey courthouse and ate tomatoes. Right. He just went through tomatoes until the crowd, which had gathered, which was convinced that they were poisonous, was like, oh, I guess
1: guess he's fine. I guess they're not poisonous. I guess they're not poisonous. This whole time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great... It's a great story, and uh, you can check out our tomato episode to learn more. And if you haven't heard it, I highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. Recipes for ketchup, or tomato soy as it was now called, were present in many of the first American cookbooks, including 1824's The Virginia Housewife by Mary Randolph.
0: Around 1834, an Ohioan doctor, John Cook Bennett, got the idea that tomatoes were this universal gut panacea. Uh, that they could, like, treat all sorts of digestion problems. And he started publishing res- recipes for tomato ketchup, which was then concentrated into pill form and sold as patent
1: medicine. It's kind of fascinating how it went from, don't eat these things, they're poisonous, they'll kill you, to, here, they're medicinal, take a pill. <laughs> Very quickly. Humans are, we can <laughs> just bop around in that mind. Miss <laughs> um, Beaton's Book of Household Management... An 1861 bestseller came with several ketchup recipes, mostly of the mushroom and oyster variety.
0: And over the next few decades, tomato ketchup's medicinal popularity would grow to the point that people apparently thought of tomato ketchup as being like a health
1: tonic. Wow. There was a problem brought on by the addition of tomatoes, though. It didn't preserve as well. And that whole long-lasting thing was an enormous part of ketchup's appeal The tomato growing season was short, too, so growers needed a way to keep tomato preserves all year long. A lot of companies attempted to commercialize tomato ketchup, but they ran into a lot of problems, sometimes deadly ones, with yeast, mold, and bacteria. Oh, and they also contained coal tar to get that red color and boric acid that were... uh, Not good for you. No. Um,
0: Okay. The the thing here is that you had like two months
1: out of the year to produce fresh
0: tomato pulp for ketchup. And you couldn't make a year's supply of ketchup very quickly. And you didn't have good refrigeration or even reliable canning technology yet. So you wound up with people adding various chemicals to preserve the pulp. Stuff that is not super good for you. Boric acid, formalin, which is a solution of formaldehyde and water. um, Benzoic acid. Also, the acids in in ketchups would interact with the copper tubs that they were often cooked in. Uh
1: Uh-huh. In 1866, Pierre Blot, a French cookbook author, called commercially available ketchup filthy, decomposed, and putrid. A study out of California conducted in 1896 found that 90% of ketchup brands contained injurious ingredients like salicylic acid.
0: You know, like known carcinogens. Known carcinogens in the 1800s.
1: Right. Something
0: had to be pretty bad Mm -hmm. at that
1: anyway. Yeah. One of the guys leading the effort to rid ketchup of benzoates was Dr. Harvey Washington Wiley. Oh, man, this guy. Oh, yeah. More on him in a minute. But Uh he, he was so passionate about this that in 1876, he joined forces with a fella in Pittsburgh named Henry J. Hines. Yes, that Hines who by that time was already making ketchup. He started selling the stuff in 1871 and running H.J. Heinz Company. He, or more likely his chief food scientist, G.F. Mason, got the idea to use ripe tomatoes. Previously, they'd been using green and yellow in hopes that they'd last longer, resulting in a brownish type sauce that they would then dye red. Um, And these red tomatoes, they have more pectin, He also upped the vinegar in his product, which helped it last longer, and added sugar. He was so confident in his product, he sold it with a money-back guarantee. Now that it no longer had preservatives, it was seen as sort of a health product, again, and it was marketed as tomato ketchup.
0: And part of the recipe that Mason came up with was really process, not ingredients, like clean manufacturing practices and quality control.
1: What? Weird.
0: (laughs) But— But let's, let's back up just a little bit here. So Heinz had gotten his start bottling and selling horseradish that his mother made, a humble business that by the 1890s had grown into a large food processing firm. The story goes around that time, he got the idea to market Heinz 57 varieties ketchup <laughs> from a sign in New York City advertising 21 varieties of shoes. And he thought that adding a number was a cool idea and that 57 was a cool number, possibly because it combined his favorite number, 5, with his wife's favorite number,
1: 7. Okay.
0: Although, to be fair, when he first started marketing it, the company already produced over 60 products, so there, there were certainly enough varieties to count. Mm-hmm. Most of it wasn't types of ketchup, though. It was like rice flakes and olives and pickles and mustard and vinegars, stuff like that. Heinz seems like he was this legit good person who genuinely cared about people's health and welfare and about making money. Mm -hmm. And he managed to turn his enthusiasm for that first thing into, like, a lot of that second thing. Oh, yeah. In the late 1800s, he was giving his factory employees free access to medical and dental care, on-site emergency care, and life and death insurance. The company provided uniforms and laundry service and washrooms and on-site manicures to make sure that employees came to the line clean. They didn't just get a lunch break. There was art in the cafeteria. The Pittsburgh factory had a swimming pool, a gymnasium, and a rooftop garden. I kind of want to bottle ketchup in the 1800s in Pennsylvania.
1: It sounds lovely.
0: Right? And Heinz what was marketing this. Uh, he, he opened his factories to public tours. He sold his products in clear glass bottles. He hired traveling salesmen to display Heinz products in local grocery stores, like on China with fine linen, uh, <laughs> and espouse the quality of these foods. They were more expensive, but they were purer. Right. And amidst all of this, Dr. Wiley, who by the turn of the century was uh, the chief chemist at the Federal Bureau of Chemistry, was on this public campaign to bring pure foods to the public by regulating the ever increasingly industrial food industry. He hired a poison squad (laughs) that, that apparently voluntarily ate whatever he gave them to help him prove that highly processed foods made under unsanitary conditions were bad for your health.
1: Oh, wow. They volunteered?
0: Apparently. Oof. Yeah. Uh, government employees. Good times. Uh, <laughs> he went on speaking tours, railing against big business cost cutters as the hosts of Satan. Oof. And promoting a pure food act as necessary for the survival of the human race.
1: He had quite a rhetoric. Uh
0: the public, and perhaps especially religious folks connected with the larger temperance movement, loved it. Mm-hmm. They were super into this. Apparently, to, to get then-President Teddy Roosevelt on board, he pointed to fillers being used in scotch. <laughs> so, you know, whatever works.
1: Roosevelt was like, we must solve this. <laughs> and now.
0: <laughs> and Hines was also all about it. You know, like—, like Oh, oh man, you want to pass some laws demanding sanitary manufacturing conditions? Come at me, bro. I'm ready. (laughs) The company was already a leader there and would nothing but profit at forcing their competitors to start shaping up. Heinz's uh, son Howard, who by that time was working in the company, was quoted as telling Roosevelt that such laws would inspire a confidence in commercially prepared foods. And as my company would get its full share of the larger business in helping the industry, we should be helping ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then Upton Sinclair's The Jungle came out yeah. in February of 1906. And all, all of this kind of like simmering upset at all of the malpractice going on in the food manufacturing industry came to a boil. The Pure Food and Drug Act would be passed in June of that year. It enforced proper labeling of ingredients on packaging and paved
1: the way for the Food and Drug Administration to be created. It's astounding. Ketchup. Ketchup. Um, And after this, ketchup's popularity really increased, um, especially after the American Civil War. Merchant's Review named ketchup the sauce of sauces in 1891. The New York Tribune named ketchup the national condiment of 1896. Quote, on every table in the land... And Heinz really cornered the market. Five million bottles sold by 1905. By 1908, they'd sold $2.5 million worth. According to Heinz, to separate himself from his competitors, he chose the spelling ketchup, as I mentioned at the top, instead of catsup. The more and more ketchup uh, people bought from stores, the less and less recipes for it appeared in cookbooks.
0: Uh, Heinz Company was pouring money into morality-based ketchup advertising after that f- Pure Food and Drug Act passed. And and that's part of how they started making so much more money. Uh, one ad read, You can avoid the danger of drugged food by getting Heinz Pure Food Products.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, some ads apparently suggested that the government was going to start confiscating any foods that contained preservatives, so, you know, grocers should start replacing their stock with Heinz Products stat. Whoa. That was that was not true. No. Then in the nineteen thirties, Heinz company began tomato breeding programs to create hybrids that were sturdier and more prolific. And this would become huge. Huge. Like by the nineties they had started commercially selling seeds, and Heinz seed became the market leader in tomato seeds. They started out looking for disease resistant tomatoes, but the research capacity that they set up let them flow with all kinds of different marketing changes over the next few decades. For example, in 1965, mechanical tomato harvesters became available, which would greatly reduce the time and cost of picking tomatoes if you had a crop that could withstand the force of the machine. Right, A little bit rougher than a human picker. So uh, Heinz developed that crop. (laughs) These days, they develop hundreds of new tomato varieties every year and choose a few to
1: advance on. Wow. Well, uh, speaking of wow, <laughs> Nixon <laughs> made headlines in 16, not 16, in 1969. It came out that his breakfast of choice was cottage cheese and ketchup. <laughs> and when I read that, I made a very loud audible sound of disgust that drew worry from my nearby coworkers. workers
0: <laughs> It's not the worst thing I've ever thought of, but... I don't like thinking
1: about it. No, it's just not a pleasant image or taste sensation in my brain. No. Let's move on. Indeed. Individual ketchup packets came on the scene in 1968. Two years later, in 1970, the 32-ounce bottle is introduced. By the 1980s, ketchup is the butt of a joke in Pulp Fiction and the source of letters of advice to Ann Landers. My husband is eating too much ketchup. I worry he's uncultured. (laughs) I, I did read it and I got kind of a laugh out of it. Huh. And in 1981, under Reagan, the U.S. government attempted to get ketchup classified as a vegetable to meet the vegetable component of school lunch requirements. Hi hi hi. The plastic squeeze bottle came out in 1983. There are innovations ongoing. Some work successful than others. In 2000, there was a green ketchup and pink and blue and teal and orange and. Pink purple. And in 2002, the upside-down ketchup bottle.
0: Those upside-down bottles are equipped with a specially designed silicone valve with slits arranged at right angles to each other so that they part with pressure with the squeeze of the bottle and seal back up when relaxed. (laughs) Keep your ketchup fresher. Oh. (laughs) And then in 2010, amidst public concerns about corn syrup's pervasive use as a sweetener, both Heinz and other leading brand Hunt's started offering ketchups sweetened with sugar instead of high-fructose corn syrup. Hunt's replaced high-fructose corn syrup across their entire line of ketchups, while Heinz introduced a ketchup called Simply Heinz, which had reduced sodium and replaced the corn syrup. And according to research, albeit from the corn industry, Mm -hmm. this is a good case study about how consumers care more about the amount of added sweeteners in a product overall than, uh, than what kind of sweetener is being used. But sales numbers do appear to bear that out, and Hunts eventually went back to using high-fructose corn syrup after a dip in sales. Huh. Heinz, meanwhile, put extra money into that breeding research and development to build a sweeter tomato and reduce uh, dependence on corn syrup overall.
1: Huh. That's very interesting. Ketchup. (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is our history portion, but ketchup has more surprises for us in the science bit. (laughs) And more about that after one last quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.
3: Could
4: just be me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th.
5: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Haya.
1: Non-Newtonian fluids.
0: Is this like non-Euclidean geometry? Do I need to be scared?
1: Terrified. Oh, heck. She's very scared, I can tell.
0: No, it's not scary at all. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the 57 part of Heinz 57 ketchup is definitely just a just a marketing thing. But the placement of the 57 label on the bottle is absolutely not. And that's because ketchup is a non-Newtonian fluid. Really? Let's unpack that. A Newtonian fluid is one that has a a viscosity, a a thickness, or a resistance to flowing related only to its temperature. Water and oil are Newtonian fluids. Uh, You know, pressure and non-heat-related agitation don't affect the rate at which they flow. So, like, no matter how hard you shake water, it, it always flows the same way, right? Right. Right. This has nothing to do with density, mind you. Like honey is both more dense and more viscous than water. It takes longer to pour, and it's also heavier. It'll it'll sink in tea or something like that. Uh, but think of cream; it takes longer to pour than water, so it's more viscous, but it would also float on top of water. Mm-hmm. Anyway, unlike water and other Newtonian fluids, non-Newtonian fluids are affected by pressure and agitation. Think about quicksand. Or, okay, maybe you've never really thought about quicksand, uh, but it's about twice as dense as you are, meaning that you can float on top of it, but only if you don't struggle. If you struggle in quicksand, you agitate it, and it makes it less viscous, and you'll sink. That is why you should always stay calm and move slowly should you get trapped in quicksand.
1: Survival tip of the episode. You
0: heard it here on Food Stuff.
1: Exactly where you expect to get your quicksand (laughs) survival tips.
0: (laughs) You should also stay calm and move slowly if you ever get trapped in toothpaste or ketchup. More practically, though, you can put this to use when you're trying to get ketchup out of a glass bottle. Uh, It's so viscous that it gets jammed up at the neck. But by applying agitation, a sheer stress, that is, to the ketchup at the neck, you can make it less viscous and it will flow faster. And you can do that by just tapping the neck of the bottle right on that 57 label. Uh, or if you're using a different brands, sort of like midway up the glass neck. Tapping it at the bottom of the bottle does not work because that only affects the viscosity of the ketchup at the bottom of the bottle, which is not where the problem is.
1: Right. And yet, that's what almost all of us do.
0: Yeah. It seems it seems so logical. It
1: does, doesn't it? Nope.
0: Not logical at all, according to non-Newtonian
1: fluid physics. I say it again. Ketchup. <laughs> Um, You may also have seen videos online about how you can use ketchup to clean or polish things, particularly on objects that are metal, Mm -hmm. because of the acidity in the tomatoes and the vinegars. From the things I read, because I have never tried this, it can clean pots and pans in minutes. It can remove the tarnish off copper. It's good for polishing brass and steel, shining cars. And I I do kind of want to try it because, for me... Putting ketchup on something is going to make it worse. But I believe that it is true. Um, I think, though, I'll start really small with like a penny.
0: Yeah, maybe not like an antique or
1: anything. Like, like my sure. my cousin's very nice car or something.
0: Oh, yeah, probably not that, no.
1: I just put ketchup on your car. It's going to be fine. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> and if you want to make it, it's relatively easy to make and to customize to your own taste. Absolutely. Uh, should you be interested, the consistency is a little tricky to imitate. But it's totally worth your while if you're a ketchup fan, and recipes abound online.
0: Are worth worth your while? I don't know. I, I I was talking with a with a food industry friend about this before we came in here. Not immediately before we came in here. He's not like hiding in the office. <laughs> huh. uh, but there's a little bit of a, of an argument in the food industry about whether or not one should oh, make their own house ketchup.
1: I have heard that. Yeah.
0: Because yeah, because the flavor of ketchup is so.
1: When people ask so for ketchup, Heinz.
0: yeah. And so anything else is kind of, I mean, it can be delightful. Yes. But it's like, oh, this doesn't taste like ketchup. Yes. And that's a lot of people's experiences, I think, making it at home. They're like, well, this is nice, but.
1: Right. I definitely think that in restaurants you are running a risk if you don't offer also bottled ketchup. Yeah. Because people will be angry that they're not getting what they what they think of ketchup as. Um, but it, yeah, like I've made it once and all I did was add like more, I made it spicier. Ooh, and mm-hmm. I liked it. But yeah, if you're looking for Heinz, like that sweet ketchup pint. Oh, you're never going to get it. Yeah, no. Yeah. Just buy it. Just buy it. That's why all the recipes, like we said, they started disappearing out of the recipe books because people were like, I want this thing yeah. and I can't do it. So, so yeah. why even try? <laughs> However, don't let that discourage you no. should you want to try a different type of ketchup. Yeah, or than, especially
0: something like banana ketchup.
1: Oh, yeah, Ooh. I know. I'm very, I really want to try that. Yeah. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I did think of another catch up thing. Oh yeah. Um, yes. So currently, I've watched the movie <laughs> Everything Everywhere All At Once like way too many times. Oh yeah, me too. And yeah, there, there's a scene with the ketchup where uh, <laughs> Joe Bucovacchio is like, "Oh, it's organic." Oh, yeah. And if yeah. you haven't seen it, I'm not gonna explain it because I've t- I've told people this movie cannot be spoiled because it's so so weird. So in the bonkers. Best way. <laughs> uh,
0: but I also wouldn't want to risk spoiling anyone. No, so, never. Yeah. I- actually, now that now that I think about it, I guess there's like two kinds of ketchup references in the movie. At any rate, um, uh, so yes, there's that. Go check that film out if you like incredibly bonkers action movies that made me cry multiple times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, no, rocks. I'm weeping now. Um, (laughs) But uh, uh, I guess also like one more follow-up. We still have not done an episode about high fructose corn syrup which is something that we, like, kind of promise that we're going to do soon um, in this episode from 2018. So that hasn't happened.
1: Um, but I mean, speaking of the multiverse and time being weird, <laughs> soon could beat all kinds of things. And true enough. It will happen. It's on the list. It is. It is on the list. It is on the list. <laughs> and as we've said, it might take some time. But if it's on the list.
0: We'll get it'll to it. Happen. Well, Yeah. Get <laughs> yeah <laughs> well good Here you go
1: i love to think there's one listener who's just been holding out <laughs> that one episode on ketchup <laughs> like wow they're gonna talk about it and it's just waiting and waiting and waiting we will get to you we will listener. we will um and yes uh, to all the other listeners and that one, if you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com.
0: We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Savor is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone.
0: Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair
1: mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com.
3: Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> <laughs> Give me museums! South Park! Give me a woo! Roller coaster! What's that spell? San Diego!
2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san Diego.org, Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
5: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity Voice Remote.
4: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good.